Welcome to The Daily Objective, a production of the Ayn Rand Center UK, where we discuss current events from an objectivist perspective. I'm Michael Leibowitz. Joining me today is the one, the only, the great James Stevens Valiant. Hey, Jim. Hey, how you doing, Mike? We're going to be continuing our discussion uh, about the war over in Israel and, and Gaza. So just to you know, kind of bring some context to our discussion, we have some news that, that I'd like to read. We have a hospital director who says that Israeli troops instructed him to evacuate patients and staff, but the IDF says it is securing safe passage to people who wanted to leave. Thousands of Iranians took to the streets on Saturday as part of state-sponsored marches to demonstrate against the Israeli killings of more than 12,000 Palestinians, including 5,000 children in Gaza. Jordan doubts Israel can destroy Hamas as Gaza war rages, main reason being the cost of civilian life in Gaza. In Israel-Hamas war, 30,000 people joined families of Israeli hostages on final march to Jerusalem. That last uh, story, Jim, in Israel right now, the families of hostages and with a lot of support are demanding that the Israeli government get the hostages back at whatever cost is necessary. They don't care what it takes. They want their family back. And while I understand if you're a family member and you love somebody and your loved one is missing, you know, as people that that pride ourselves on rationality, I could understand how, how a person doesn't do their most rational thinking uh, under those those circumstances. But I just don't think it's a good idea. I'll, I'll say why afterward. But first, what do you is it a good idea to get your hostages back at any price and why or why not? Well, you know, uh, I understand there are these serious protests and they want the answers from the government what are you doing what is the plan why and if you don't have a plan why not and if you 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 aren't trying to negotiate why aren't you negotiating what is the price you know i heard an interview with family they've been doing uh interviews on the american media over the last few days from uh victims of hostages and there are only over 200 hostages till there and just the other day they found two of the female hostages dead when they were starting to go into the tunnels. So two of them uh, are dead. Now, whether that was from Hamas or from the IDF attack is not clear to me, but it really doesn't matter. And maybe the most eloquent thing that was said by these family members that struck me was, what price can you place on a human life? What price can you place on a human life? And of course, the implication that he was giving was that we should be able to pay any price, billions, whatever it takes, give Hamas whatever it wants, because every human life is an irreplaceable value. And yes, every human life is an irreplaceable value. But I would ask the same question with the same words he used, only with an exactly opposite point. What price can we place on a human life? They are infinitely valuable. They are irreplaceable values. There is no price that can or should or could be paid. And once you pay the price, it pays to take hostages. To pay the price is to make it pay, to make it profitable. If Now, I'm going to use the most extreme example that I can find, and I hope I can do this without being emotional. My wife of almost 27 years now is the most important human being in my life for obvious reasons. Were she uh, 
were she a hostage by Hamas right now, I cannot tell you the emotional state I would be in. I would be a wreck and I would not be able to do these broadcasts probably. But I hope that I would have the conceptual faculty to know that by saying, pay the price to get it released, I would be ensuring, guaranteeing future hostages be taken. How many more hostages in the future are it worth? Because that's the price, my friend. The guy who was the family member who said, what price can we place on a human life? Not a single other human life. There is not, it's not worth another hostage, is it? It's not worth hostages again and again. The Hamas leader said October's after October 7th, that October 7th will happen again and again and again until Israel is no more. So if we make hostage taking pay, if we make it profitable, if we give in to their demands at all and negotiate for hostages, we are guaranteeing more hostages be taken. So these victims of the families that have had family members taken, they have to realize that the cost would be more hostages, more people like them. Now, are they willing to confront that reality of what they're going through multiplied an indefinite number of times into the future as the price? So I agree with him in a sense, and I ask that family member, as much as my heart actually does bleed for him right now, because I try to put myself exactly in his position empathetically, and I would have to think to myself, yeah, each life, life is priceless. There is no price. Therefore, no negotiation can equal the price, and certainly the price of more hostages, of more babies put into ovens and burnt alive, more women raped to death, more civilians slaughtered. If that's the price, no, no. Because what is the value of those host future hostages' lives? What price can we put on those? What price can we put on those? Because if we pay, we make it pay. So morally, it is unspeakable to negotiate with hostages in these circumstances. Hamas could release the hostages tomorrow they could release the hostages tomorrow, and that would end all this. But is it so putting the focus on the Israeli government is absolutely morally wrong. The focus must be entirely on Hamas. They are the ones responsible. And anything that happens, Israel makes the argument, of course, that if we don't keep up the military pressure, there won't be any more negotiations. That's not the justification in my mind. But they have a point. Hamas isn't going to hear anything until we corner them, until we put them in the... And frankly, though, putting them merely in a box to get a better negotiating deal shouldn't be why we're doing it. If, as I say, and as Rossi and I have said from the outset, if there is some way that uh, special forces or a commando raid can save some or all of these hostages, of course, we do it. We take the chance to do it. But... But it cannot come at the price of rewarding October 7th. And that will only guarantee more October 7th. For I would remind those same family members that it is all of our appeasement before. It is all of the Israeli negotiations for their hostages that have set this up. It is Biden saying he's going to give billions for Iranian hostages that set this up. It is negotiating. It is putting a price on lives, which we have done, sir, that has made it pay. And by paying that price, it caused those hostages to be taken. That's what caused it in the first place. And so if we're going to avoid it in the future, 
we we cannot take the approach that release them at any cost. No, no, no. Just the other day, President Biden released another set of billions of dollars to Iran, waiving sanctions. Now, <clears throat> you know my opinion of that, whether it had anything to do with the hostage negotiations or not. There's some people speculating that that release may have had something to do with the hostage negotiations. That would be unspeakable. That would be putting a price tag on human lives and encouraging more hostage taking and making hostage taking pay. But even if it weren't connected to the that, even if it had some other policy that Biden has in mind about not escalating war or some other such nonsense, it is wrong to give them billions of dollars and to, to fund the people to the tune of billions, the people that are behind October 7th, ultimately, and that is the Islamic Republic of Iran. Um, so <laughs> to put it together, that's my opinion, uh, Michael. Thanks, Jim. We have a super chat. Bonnie Bertrand has given 99 cents. Thank you very much, Bonnie. Jim, what you put your finger on is an elementary principle of psychology, right? Rewarded behavior is repeated behavior. And Israel has had the policy in the past of negotiating and paying high prices, you know, hundreds of uh, Palestinian prisoners for one or, or, or two Israeli prisoners. A dead body. Yeah. A dead and, body. And that encourages this very type of behavior and your your point there about you can't put a price on, on human life it reminds me of menachem begin and when after the holocaust when they were talking about getting reparations from nazi germany and menachem begin said i don't want it he said i do not want their blood money they can keep it and that's kind of what, what this reminds me of it's that you know i if as cold as it is to say, and maybe it's, it, I don't think it's cold. I think it's rational. And if I were in the predicament, I'd probably think differently because fear does crazy things to people. But ultimately, I, if you were to ask me in a calm frame of mind, I would say, if I'm hostage, do not pay for me because I do not want my life to end up being the cost of somebody else's life. Yes. You know, yes. and that's ultimately what happens. But there's something else too. You know, what my was, said? I'll give you an example from classical literature. There's Helen of Troy. She's a kidnapped Greek princess who's been taken to the city of Troy. All of the all of Greece has gone gone to war over the this one woman who's been taken captive, and it's over possession of Helen of Troy that they're fighting this Trojan War, and thousands of men are going to die. My wife says the following: If I were Helen of Troy, I would have stood up on the wall of Troy and jumped off and said, "If y'all guys are going to fight to the death over me, it ain't going to be over me." It ain't going to be right. over me. I'll just take myself out rather than be the cause of death. Now, I think that's a little extreme and altruistic uh, because it's not her fault. I would ask her to find some some less uh, destructive, self-destructive means of trying to do the same thing. But I myself couldn't do that. I couldn't live. I could not live thinking that it was for the sake of me that other people are dying or being taken hostage. Please just kill me now. Please, and please do not take into account the fact that I was taken hostage. I do not. Please do not. The worst part thing would be if my legacy meant the cause of other people's death. Right. And it's important, Jim, that egoism means neither giving nor collecting sacrifices. Exactly. And by right. doing that, you're extracting sacrifices from future people, maybe right. even my family, maybe even me again. And then there's this, Jim. They had a, a, a Hamas leader who was formerly a prisoner 
and then he was traded for you know you know with, with when they did one of these big swaps and now he's back at it i can't remember the guy's name but nonetheless he's back at it and you always risk that when you start trading for instance hostage for hostage or i mean i shouldn't even call them hostages prisoners for hostages the, you now know, you're I, putting people back onto the battlefield. Hold on one second. We have another super chat. Gail Parker is in for a dollar ninety nine. Thank you very much, Gail. Go ahead, Jim. Oh, uh, you know that when it comes to, I was in law enforcement for almost eighteen years, and there are times when you do negotiate, and it is vital. And if you're negotiating with a, just one guy in there, and you're trying to get him out and rescue hostages, and you really can rescue the hostages in there, and then take him out completely, put him in prison or take him out completely, of course it makes perfect sense. But you notice what needs to happen. You need to violate the deal you strike. If you strike a deal with these people, it becomes imperative, if you even manage to get the hostages out, that you violate the agreement. It, because the, you can't set up the future incentive. You've got to take out, neutralize the threat. That is far, it is far more important to neutralize the threat of the hostage takers than any particular hostage. And I hope as a hostage, or as the close family member of a hostage, I would have that approach because that's the only rational approach as you say it could be me it could be some other family member it could be you know who knows who, who it could be so the point is that you can't think you've got to think conceptually and you've got to think long range and that's exactly what emotions these strong emotions uh tend to blur people think of course well if it was my kid if it was my spouse if it was my mom of course of course, you'd be very emotional, but you, you got to direct the emotions to the right culprit and direct the emotions to the long term and what caused us to get here in the first place. You've got to think conceptually. You know, going to your uh, back to your law enforcement background as a prosecutor, you know, there's a reason people can't be a judge in their own case. Right. 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 And, and that's why you don't have the families of hostages making these decisions, because obviously yes. they want their people back. We have Jason sure. Adams in for a super chat with a, a dollar ninety nine. Thank you so much, Jason. We really appreciate your contribution and all, all the contributions. Now, well, you and I were talking previously about the relevance of history in relation to Israel's right to exist. And while I agree with you that the primary justification for a, a government is the rationality of the government, the basis upon which it stands, whether it's protecting individual rights. And in that regard, the state of Israel is head and shoulders above the rest in the Middle East. But I do think that history is relevant for this reason, because if you go back and you see the founding of the Jewish state and what has happened since then, in every step along the way, First, the Arabs, they could have had their own state. They didn't want it. They attacked the Jews. There's an armistice. Then they put a, uh, they nationalized the Suez Canal. They lose another war. They want to negotiate again. Lose another war, you negotiate. Then they, then they attacked them on Yom Kippur and then to couple intifadas, terrorist attacks. The, the people with whom Israel is negotiating have demonstrated they're not good, good faith actors. For more than at least probably longer, but at least 70 years, right? Yeah. 70, 70 years now. <laughs> and if you've got 70 years of evidence with people that say they do not want you to exist, you should not exist. 
you can't negotiate with them. And making these types of trades only encourages them to keep behaving that way. Do you and remember it, Iran's analogy about negotiating with the thief over the spoons? See, yes, even well, you've given up the principle. With the yes. bird, you've given up the. So now, next week, when he comes back in for the, you know, for the knives and forks <laughs> of the silver, then, okay, well, let's negotiate over. You're in a constant losing position. You've lost the minute you negotiate with it. So long as Hamas and Hezbollah refuse to acknowledge, they could have had peace, as you pointed out, again and again and again. But they've taken because they insist Israel must be destroyed. They have refused peace. They've refused multi-state solutions. They've refused having their own state. They've refused any kind of peaceful negotiation. They won't even come to a, even when they come close, Yasser Arafat under Clinton came, they came that close. And Yasser Arafat said, no, we're out of here because Israel should be totally wiped off the face of the earth. So in the face of that, so long as they refuse to acknowledge Israel's right to exist, Israel morally cannot negotiate with them. It would be suicidal. It is slow motion self-destruction. Frankly, so long as Iran refuses to recognize America's right to exist, our negotiations, even back, you know, back uh, uh, channel negotiations to get a nuclear arms deal with Iran are immoral. You cannot negotiate with someone who wants, who calls for your destruction. And then when you look at their behavior, I mean, look at what just happened on October 7th. Look at uh, all the attacks that Iran has had on American interests. Dozens just in the last couple of weeks of attacks on American bases. Now, should those bases be there? That's another question. But so long as the bases are there, we've had now dozens and dozens of attacks by Iranian proxies. And here we are. Oh, well, we got to go. Can't, can't irritate Iran. We've got to continue negotiating with Iran. What? So long as they want us destroyed, so long as they're part of this coordinated attack on Israel, on American interests in the area, uh, it's suicide. It is slow motion surrender. You make a good point about whether the bases should be there or not. Uh, they're attacked, and so they're attacked, and we have to deal with that, right? You don't, you can't just say, "Well, we'll just let it go" because they shouldn't have been there. I agree, they shouldn't have been there. And it reminds me, you know, on Twitter the other day, there was a, a post about bin Laden's letter. And, and Dave Smith, the guy who put it out, the prominent libertarian, he says, look, bin Laden is telling us why he did this. And I posted, well, wait a second. Why are we taking a mass murderer's word for it? And, and my point is, I'm not saying there couldn't be a valid gripe that this guy uttered. I'm saying I don't accept it coming from him. I don't care what he says. And it's the same principle. If there's an American base and we want to discuss it about maybe we should change our foreign policy, it's one thing. But I'm not going to say it's then okay for somebody else to kill Americans. Right. No, it's not okay to do October 7th, whatever your gripe is, anyway. Right. And right. it's not and that's okay. My point. And, and well, there's lots to say about that letter and how it could cause young people to have it. it look my friends if bin Laden's letter is now having you to an existential crisis you haven't done much thinking on this subject at all you have been brain dead on this entire topic if you're having an existential crisis because you find osama bin Laden's justification somehow a basis the existence of israel is not a justification for the genocide that osama bin Laden was calling for is it nor no. is it nor and to say that that he was defending against oppression when he calls for Sharia law, which is the very definition of theocratic totalitarian oppression, is to totally not understand 
what's going on here? Uh, no, these people are savage, uh, primitive, racist barbarians, and they are the oppressors. Uh, Israel represents the lack of oppression in the area. It's where uh, Muslims actually have some rights, as opposed to uh, living in the cornered little ghettos where Jews and Christians are allowed to live in Islamic states. Right. You know, just to, I, I thought of a saying that Jews have, it's from, I think, Abba Ibn, about the Palestinians and negotiations, where he says they never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. Right. And, and there's been opportunity after opportunity that they don't take. But my fear is here, Jim, and this goes, you know, you talk, people talk about being oppressive. My fear is that the, the Israeli state may not have the tenacity to eradicate Hamas. And it goes to this, this story that we have here where Jordan doubts that Israel can destroy Hamas because of the cost of civilian life in Gaza. And look, I've said it, I've, I've said it on this very station. Civilian casualties should be avoided as best as possible while achieving your goal of eradicating Hamas. But the, the, the key there is when possible. When possible. When possible. To the extent it's possible. Yeah, you and don't use it as a deterrent Israel to get America, rid of Hamas. And only because Israel and America have their own rules about their own soldiers. It's not a function of international law. It's a oh, function no, of necessary that. and unnecessary. And doing more than necessary would be counterproductive. On the other hand, you do whatever is necessary and you place the blame squarely, the causal blame squarely for what it is. We've made the point many times that self-defense does not mean you count one to one in proportionate response. A proportionate response means you take out their ability to continue the harm completely. You know, in a bar, again, use a law enforcement uh, example from my past, in a bar fight, if someone you know, starts punching you and you punch him and you get him on the ground. The mere fact that you got him on the ground doesn't mean he isn't going to get back up. If he looks like he's about to get back up or if he has a weapon or something, you have a right to neutralize the threat, even in a simple one-on-one -on -one bar fight when it comes to self-defense. The same principle surely must apply when it comes to international self-defense. No, you have a right to neutralize the threat. It is not impossible, Your Majesty King of Jordan. It is not an intractable problem, except for the fact that there's this public opinion out there, this worldwide opinion that hates Israel, and that Israel is probably, uh, it's already started buckling to, but it's probably gonna completely buckle to. And that's the kind of smiling thing that you know the, the Arab nations are having. Israel can't do it because we've got the politically cornered is in effect what he says. Right. Now that's disgusting right there. And uh, I have to cite Golda Meir. I'd rather be alive and unpopular, you know, in a, to paraphrase Golda Meir, than dead and popular. <laughs> right. And, you know, this is a pet peeve of mine. So if I overdo it, let me know. But these libertarians <laughs> that are going against oh, Israel yeah. are, are driving me crazy. And, and I was thinking about this this morning. You cannot be for liberty and say that self-defense isn't an absolute right. Because oh. you can't be free if you don't have the right to defend yourself against an attack. These libertarians are insane. They will defend, for example, um, Native American rights in the sense that as if they had Lockean property rights throughout North America before Columbus got here, and therefore they had these sacred rights to the, the land and so forth. Blah, 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 blah. Similarly, with Arabs, they'll do the same thing. And they'll end up, what's amazing to me is that libertarians will end up by defending the most medieval, anti-capitalist, anti-liberal, anti-individualist, anti-reason, non-Lockean, 
anti-Lockean perspectives on government. So the most theocratically oppressive totalitarian states are in effect being defended by our libertarians uh, here in the West. Now think about right. that. Name of liberty, they're defending theocratic totalitarianism, which is precisely what they're doing. Only they don't see it that way. They see Israel as the oppression because of our foreign aid, and they're some kind of colonizers, and they what they want to do is pull the plug on any kind of American foreign aid and American interests abroad without any conception of what is in actually in favor, what's supporting liberty, because actually, of course, civilization is the only support for liberty libertarian idiots out there you're never going to get a liberal libertarian society that's based on some kind of primitive tribal savagery which is what you all think you can do and i'm tired of it from that wing of because you know once you've got the big tent that's open to uh you know christian theocrats and islamic theocrats which is the big tent of the libertarian party you've just utterly destroyed any rational case for liberty or liberalism uh, that's my thought on it uh, I, I, that's my thought on it as well, Jim. I'm I'm right there with you. I, I will say, you know, it's not everybody that identifies as a libertarian. Oh no, that's true. That does that. You know, I, again. <laughs> I mean, I I am going to venture a guess that the great Ludwig von Mises, for instance, would not be supporting Hamas. <laughs> Regardless of Mises yeah. Institute, have yeah. stolen his name. And a man who was not an anarchist, a man who was not a religious conservative, and a man who would certainly be on the right side here, in my view, is uh, uh, their that organization has completely corrupted his tradition. Um, I, to compare, you know, when you want to compare it, the Ayn Rand Institute has done a far better job of being true to Ayn Rand's own ideas, and to see the two most consistent advocates of uh, uh, laissez-faire capitalism in the 20th century, and you see one being Ayn Rand is misunderstood, as you we were making the point earlier, by many people who call themselves objectivists. But all these people who use this Mises.org uh, thing and use it to defend ideas, Mises would have, that is still more perverse in my mind. So uh, there, you are, there you are, Michael, again, my take on it. Yeah. And it, it, look at it this way, Jim. We're just about done with the show, and we, you and I haven't disagreed even once. <laughs> <laughs> No reason for all caps at all. <laughs> I hate to disappoint the audience. Sorry, folks. <laughs> I will manage to come up with a disagreement with Michael next time. Yes, we will. We will. We will definitely have to think of one. Well, Jim, do you have any any uh, closing thoughts before we go? No, it, it, it is a rough topic, and I do understand the psychology and the emotions of the victims here involved, but they have to think conceptually in the long run. They have to understand why the hostages were taken in the first place, and they have to they cannot allow themselves to be part of a process that would encourage and make it pay for people to take more hostages in the future. Well said. Thank you very much. Daniel, do we have any announcements that I need to make before we wrap this up? Uh, no announcements to well we actually do have one uh, in about three minutes we have the ARC UK philosophy forum but that's only for ARC UK platinum members uh, I'll be there if you want to engage in philosophical discussion with me uh, you have to be a paid subscriber to Ayn Rand Center UK so you know for the value of talking philosophy with me <laughs> So one of I the might show up just to argue with you. We'll, we'll exactly, so we can get an argument today. <laughs> uh, Thanks, guys. The... And audience, thank you very much for joining us. Be well.